0: We are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Smith and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, and welcome to Just Christians. Thank you very much, Ray. We appreciate it. are glad you're also here at We are Just Christians. We're glad to be with you this Sunday morning. It's funny. It's funny. rainy, but uh, we're... Uh... Still on the air, and we're going to be having not only the radio show, but service a little bit later on here at the Church of Christ on Savannah Boulevard. We'd like to welcome you to be a part of that. We are just Christians. This radio show is a live call-in show uh, every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. We like to take your calls, comments, and questions. I'll give you the numbers in just a moment how you can reach us. But this show is about New Testament Christianity or spirituality here in the 21st century people are seeking things spiritual enlightenment spiritual enrichment they're seeking some some meaning in their life and we believe from not only our reading but from experience that that uh, the, the bible the new testament is the way to find that spirituality way to find that pathway to god and we'd like to invite you along this journey we believe that if we read the bible simply and plainly we can find the spiritual guidance that we need not only that and more importantly well a probably getting at is we can find a way to be saved from our sinful condition that we find ourselves in as human beings and uh, the Bible provides through Jesus Christ that redemption that fulfillment and that will give you a a healthy spiritual life that'll give you the new start that you need finding Jesus Christ and so we welcome you along that journey we particularly want to welcome you to join our program if you are not a believer or not a religious person or perhaps you become disenchanted with with organized religion as you've experienced it in your life or maybe you simply have some doubts and questions about the Bible or spirituality we'd love to have you join the program we're going to we'll be glad to have a conversation with you we may not be able to answer your, uh, your your questions to your satisfaction maybe we will but we promise you we're going to try to give you something from the scriptures to read and look at that will help you along the way and answer your questions on your search to find God and meaning in this life. So you can reach We Are Just Christians at 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the telephone number here in Port St. Lucie. You can also reach us some other ways if you'd like to text us. We have two text numbers. My name is Mike, and my text number is 772 772- 260 6120 and Gary didn't even introduce you. How are you doing
1: this morning? I'm here this morning, good? Mike. And which is better than the alternative. <laughs> yeah, I can see
0: how he's, doing. he's sitting across the table from me, but that's right, better than the alternative. But Gary's text number, if you want to text him either now or during the week, is seven seven two six zero six two zero. 0 we have an email, and I'll give you some of the other information later on about how you can re- listen to this program, tell your friends about it, how you can get in touch with us. But we want to invite you to call and have a conversation this morning. We, we make a couple of promises to you. Uh, number one, we're going to try to give you a, a scriptural references or script, some scriptural insight in answer to your question because we believe that's where the answer is found. And secondly, we're going to give you the last word. We promise not to embarrass you or anything like that. If you'll call in, whether we agree or disagree, I don't promise we're going to agree, but I can promise we'll try to to treat you as you should be treated with respect and we'll give you the last word on whatever subject you bring up. So we'd invite you to give us a call, particularly if you don't agree. We'd like to hear about that. I think it will make an interesting show and perhaps we can all learn something from that. Uh, That's kind of where we stand on that. That's what We Are Just Christians is all about. Now, Gary, you said before the show, now we, you know, just so you know, we, we don't sit down and rehearse this hour-long show. <laughs> Gary and I have been friends for a long time, and, and we work together as elders here in the church and so forth. We have a lot of similar interests, but we're not the same at all. We're very different people. And, and so, But we bring ourselves to this show with the scriptures, and sometimes we'll talk about things ahead of time briefly. But I think it keeps it more alive and real when we don't sit down and re- rehearse all these things. I think
1: we had seven words that went with, <laughs> with this with, subject today when we talked about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah,
0: we had a few words. But but he said to me, I, I, I have something if you would like to go there. I said, well, you know, since I'm the big mouth on the show and do all the talking, uh, every now and then, I've like, every few months, I've got to give you a chance, on it, Gary? <laughs> yeah, all right, anyway, what, what's on your mind today?
1: Well, basically, Mike, uh I look around me in in the world. that's about me and on the news and things like that and and things Things just seem to jump out at me from time to time and one of the things that's been jumping out lately is just how How men behave? I know that that's a that's a subject that's liable to get us into trouble but Basically, I want to talk just a little bit about that and and there is such a good chapter in the Old Testament about how men should behave, kind of in a negative way in the things that we are not to do, but it's Job chapter 31, and it's often been called The Worthy Man. Now, Job is an unusual book, and uh, in in many ways it's, it's not very well studied or even clearly studied, even in some very good church classes with well-meaning preachers. But one of the things that happens with Job is you (laughs) you read the first two chapters and then you skip over and read the last five chapters and you miss everything that's in between. And uh, unfortunately, the more I've studied Job, the more I've found out that the heart of the book is really in the chapters in between. Now, there are a few clues as to what you ought to look for in chapter 1 and 2 and chapter... The last five chapters but one of the things that i discovered in was chapter 31 was the what i'll call and what others have called the worthy man and and mike i the more i read it the more i saw a a a, a connection that became clearer and clearer to me as i read it between job chapter 31 and jesus's sermon on the mount okay there, there are a lot of things there that just just jumped out at me uh and so i'm not going to take job 31 in order uh we're going to jump around in it a little bit but i just wanted to read a couple of sentences from job 31 and in this case it just happens to be verses one through four and uh so if you want to follow along in the bible turn to job 31 verses one through four and it says job says and and this is the last speech that job makes in this in this book this is Job's closing comments before the last of the friends, uh, Elihu or Elihu, however you pronounce it. Elihu is probably the better pronunciation. Uh, before I learned, Eli- I
0: learned in recently in Israel, talking to a couple of people, that in Hebrew, they usually emphasize the last syllable on some of these words.
1: Oh, really? Elihu. Elihu. Would be how they, how they would pronounce it. I have pronu-
0: no idea if that's correct, okay. but I'm just saying I'll, I have to change about half the t- pronunciations I've used for 45 <laughs> years because of that.
1: But Elihu, um, is that? Oh, that's what some that's, would say. Okay. I,
0: I, I've i always said Elihu.
1: Okay, well, so I've, I've always said been. Elihu. Elihu, so okay. So, okay, so right. that's the way I first heard it. So okay. uh, anyway, however you pronounce it. He is the last speaker before God appears on the scene and does what little explanation for the book that that we see. But this is Job's last speech, and it's kind of his defense. And so in Job 31 verses 1-4, he says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? for what is the allotment of god from above and the inheritance of the almighty from on high is it not destruction for the wicked and disaster for workers workers of iniquity does he not see my ways and count my steps mike there's a lot in that uh, it, it's it's kind of similar to job 31 verse 9 and, and 10 he says um, for if my heart had been in, has if my heart had has been enticed by a woman, or if I, I have lurked at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind for another, and let others bow down over her," he says. "For that would be wickedness." you Notice the pattern here. Job talks about things that he has not done, and he and he implies that if I had done that, that would be grounds for for me to be have disaster come upon me. And he does that a lot in this in this chapter, uh, and he's, he's. I think it goes along with Job. Job is really saying, "I haven't done anything to deserve all this." That's what he's really saying here. But I want to look at what he says about, "I have made a covenant with my eyes. Uh, why then should I look upon a woman?" And how from, how familiar that is to what Jesus says uh, in Matthew chapter five. Says, "You have heard it said." To those of old that you shall not commit adultery but I say to you that whoever looks upon a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in it in its heart and if your right eye causes you to sin pluck it out and cast it from you for if it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell Jesus is saying you know the eye is a dangerous thing when it comes to women For men um basically these desire god put these desires in us but he expects us to control them and that's one of the things that uh i think job is pointing out here he has he has practiced that control and and that's that's an example we should follow yes i I think it's one of the most uh, most prevalent
0: ways that men are led astray and, and Satan knows it, and unfortunately, wicked women know it, and men seem to ignore it. That it—it's the eye that pulls them aside to to, to lust after uh, a woman that they don't have any right to. Now, Jesus isn't saying here, Gary, that if you see a woman and you think she's attractive, or even if you're right. seeing this woman causes some kind of sexual thought, that you're 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 a sinner and you're going to hell. The idea is looking to lust. To lust is to grasp after, you see, to have. And so right. uh, it goes beyond just an, uh, a quick pa- a passing thought or whatever into taking mental action to, take, to do something about that. Jesus says, well, you, you know, you've, done, uh, you've committed adultery and you've been unfaithful in, in that sense in that regard because adultery starts in the heart. These all these sins start in the heart. And that's what Job I think is saying about a lot of things he mentions he does not done. Right. He has controlled the impulses of his
1: heart. And and that's one of the which, which is what most men don't do. So there's been a lot of questions and I think we might discuss what, what happened in Second Samuel eleven with David, beginning in chapter verse two. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And the servant said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of the Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her. And he came; she came to him and he lay with her. So where in that, where in that process do you think, Mike, that David, David sinned? I think it's when he... You know,
0: I don't know if he knew who it was before he sent for her.
1: Well, he said he but sent and inquired about her. Right, and once he found out but it was somebody, found out she wife, was somebody else's wife, and started making and plans, then acted on that. That well, acted on his desires
0: in spite of that. Right. That's when he sent. Yes, and, and that was the whole problem. It
1: isn't that he saw a woman
0: bathing, and they often would bathe on rooftops because that's uh, where somewhat some privacy. But David had a higher house and was on a hill. And so he's going to see. And he, he saw this woman. That isn't the sin. Even finding her attractive is not particularly the sin. It's acting unlawfully upon that and not, yes. re, not curtailing that.
1: Right. And I think this illustrates exactly what you were talking about. I think this passage, mm-hmm. you, we often say, well, what does that look like? And well, the Old Testament often tells us what some of those New Testament I mean, things look like. I've heard people blame Bathsheba in this regard. I don't think Bathsheba was,
0: that wasn't her sin in this case. Now, some would say, well, she shouldn't have uh, slept with David. Well, that, you know, I i don't know what her situation would be with regard to the king. Uh, on the other hand, we know that he was a very attractive man. Now, what what, what, what was her sin? Well, perhaps it was not resisting or at least objecting to this. We don't know that. The Bible says nothing about that. Absolutely. So I'm in no position uh to uh, judge Bathsheba about that uh, later she proved to be a good woman as a mo- as the mother of Solomon but um you know you know I think David's sin is what's being focused on
1: him. yes yes and I think that's that that was the point and I think that's uh really the connection that is made with the words of Job you know David is it's such a
0: this is the kind of story I'm going to go to a little side point here, Gary. This is the kind of story, as is Job, that you wouldn't expect that this was written only by human beings and recorded by uh, people trying to build up a Davidic kingdom from nothing and, you know, political writers and so forth. This is the great man of Israel. This is the best man in Israel's history, perhaps. He is a man after God's own heart. Uh, Gary we got a caller on the line okay. let me finish what I'm saying Jerry and we'll get to you I'm sorry but I he is a
1: type of Christ he is a type of Jesus he's a type of
0: Jesus but they portray him as a man after God's own heart he is a, the sweet singer of Israel the scriptures say and and yet this is a sin of the heart that he commits here yes. in this case well we got a call Gary let's go to that we'll come back G- Jerry are you on the line uh, good
1: morning, uh, Gary and Mike. Uh, sorry,
0: Gary. I, I didn't see the men that, that you were waiting. I'm sorry about that, but go ahead.
1: When two people consummate a relationship with a physical union, and that's a layman's term, but I was wondering about consecrate, uh, when they consecrate the Eucharist, uh, you know, which is kept in the tabernacle. And, uh, you know, I guess it's like a blessing, I, I guess. The word is consecrate, and I was wondering about the symbolism of leavened bread. Uh, And again, you could get to that uh, why why they use leavened bread, and uh, just those two terms, uh, consummate and consecrate. And I'd like to listen off air. That'd be okay, Mike. That'd
0: be fine. Here, I hope I can. I hope I I hope I can answer can answer. You know. Your questions, if I can't, go back to it, but we'll do our best. Okay, so we have really three words we want to take a look at in general. And i got a feeling, if I remember that Jerry called a couple of weeks ago and mentioned that, maybe mentioned he was a former Catholic. I'm kind of, that's something that's in my mind. But these are, the idea of the Eucharist and so forth right. is. So you got three words, consummate. Well, the idea of consummating something is to finish it or... To to bring a process to an end, there's a process going on. Or to bring it and complete. the consummation of something is to complete it or finish it or yeah. end end it. As complete it was the completion. word that I usually think yes, of. Yes, and I think that's right. I think to so bring it to completion. So in in, in uh, a mar in a wedding, the consummation of the of the mar- of the wedding or the marriage is the sexual act. That's how it's generally used in our society. Mike, let's leave leave that
1: out because I'm going to have to discuss that one with you. Mike and I disagree vehemently about that one.
0: Well, uh, that's how it's used in our society, to consummate the marriage. And the marriage is incomplete without the sexual act because they're not one flesh. That's how I would view it. Gary might not. That's how it's generally used. Now, I'm not sure how that relates, Jerry, uh, to the idea of consecrate. To consecrate something is to set it aside and, uh, as it were, make it holy, I think is how they would use that word.
1: There's another word that's used. I think it's um, – I'm I'm having a senior moment here, Mike, for – to set apart – well that is to make holy or to yeah. sanctify. Sanctify is yes, the word. is though. the idea there, sanctify. Sanctify is is is, is the idea and so that's this to set
0: apart or set aside. To consecrate something. and to sanctify are very similar very similar words in English coming out of the Latin. Well, uh, and the word in the word in uh, well, I'm going to say I don't know the exact word in Hebrew. It's the same it's a parallel word to the one in Greek which is Agnos or Hognos, however you say that. We get the word Agnes from that. It's the word for holy, holiness, to set apart, or to sanctify. And it's the right. word for saint. All of those, Even those are different English words. They all come from the same root word in Greek, which means to set apart for a particular use. So you have uh, some of your dishes you use every day and some are set aside for special occasions. Now, they would be called in common Greek
1: holy dishes because they're set apart for a certain use, you see. We have a... um, Well, that that application or separation is often, I think, is in at least one place used in in the, the Old Testament prophets as opposed to looking at Israel versus other nations and things like that. That same kind of parallel... Idea that well, he consecrated Israel. Yeah, he set, set
0: them apart, and, and and much of the much of the law of the Old Testament that Moses gave was an illustration to Israel in the, in their daily lives and in the lives of the tabernacle and temple in their worship that they indeed were to be set apart both individually and as a nation to Jehovah only, and they had not to other gods and to, only to Him.
1: Right, and it was it was to make them different. Right, it was to make them appear different. In many ways, than the rest of than the rest of the world. Now, there's other usages of this word. Um, if you just look
0: it up, to, the word consecrate means to make or declare something sacred, or to dedicate it formally to a religious purpose. So they would uh, consecrate some particular object. I don't know where in the New Testament. I'm taking some of the Old Testament rituals, they took blood in like Second Chronicles and sprinkled, in First Chronicles, they sprinkled it on certain objects that they were going to use in the temple. So, uh, so a man working with gold, a, a goldsmith, fashioned an object to be used in the temple, in the temple service. At that point, it was still just an ordinary piece of gold. But then they took it to the temple, sure. and, they, and they killed an animal, sprinkled blood upon it, the priest did, in order to sanctify or to consecrate that object for use in worship in the temple. And without doing that, they couldn't use any object in the temple that had not been consecrated by blood, the book of Hebrews says. And so that, that was the point of it. Everything, and everything in the new temple, in Jesus Christ's church, has been sanctified right. by blood. Of course, what is in the church? Well, it's the people, the living stones. We, right. If you're not sanctified by the blood of Christ, by having been baptized into his blood, uh, into his death, then you are not a Christian. You're not a part of the temple because you haven't been made holy or sanctified by the blood of Christ. That's the whole point of that of the, what went on in the Old Testament as a
1: parallel then to the New now, the Catholic Church uses this idea. Well, before you leave that, right, let's m- right. mention one thing about the Old Testament and the Old Testament practice in the temple, that that basically everything that was used in the temple had to be sanctified and had to be blessed and sanctified with the blood of a sacrifice. That, Mike, that included the utensils that they used, yes. the lampstands that they used, even... Even when they were commanded to use musical instruments, it was supposed to be sanctified with the blood. So everything that was used, when, the, when yes. he tells them to do those things, everything that they used in that worship service had to be sanctified. That needs, I think we need to make that a point. And that even included the musical instruments that they used. Yes, and you find this reference to this kind of thing.
0: You find some instances in the Old Testament, uh, but it says basically... Uh, that in verse, uh, Hebrews nine eighteen therefore not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. And when Moses has spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people and so forth. And it says in verse 22, according to the law, all things are purified, or almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So he's saying here that they took blood, he's referring back to the Old Testament, sprinkled on everything, all the objects that were used in the temple. So, of course, this is a side point, Gary. That's one of my arguments
1: about using instrumental music in the church. I wanted to bring that up because it's an important argument. It's it's a very important concept when we look at what the Old Testament practices were as opposed to uh, the New Testament practices under the law of Christ. Mm-hmm. It's an important concept that we're different. That the the New Testament Church is different from the Old Testament system in a lot of ways. And sometimes, uh, particularly, I think we see in the first century history of the Church that those those differences were emphasized more than we do now. They had they had to be careful about that. difference. Oh yes. Yeah. Well, that's
0: why, for example, and we got a couple other texts I want to get to, Gary. About The other thing we're talking about that I missed, somehow my phone wasn't alerting me these things, but um, they couldn't sow two kinds of crops in the same field. Israelites couldn't. They couldn't sow wheat and barley in the same field. Each field had to be holy to itself as to in oneness. They couldn't wear two kinds of garments together. They couldn't wear wool and linen together on their body they could only wear one type of cloth on their body the israelites. Now these are minor laws we focus on the laws of eating but these were the but these were the same kind of laws with regard to everyday activities because those they were to be holy to god and they were he was emphasizing that oneness or dedication
1: to one thing. Which was to God. And often it was something that could be seen that people would see. They see it. So that it, so it they was just tell, a way to emphasize tell, to tell, them a the special
0: difference. set apart people. Even the, the dietary laws were not about health. The dietary laws were to set them apart from all the other people. And every day since you eat oh, probably three times a day, most people always have, you eat every day. You have to think about what you're going to eat. And every day you're challenged by your faith to eat what God says you can eat and not eat what he says and not eat what he says you can't eat. So he was setting them apart every day by what they ate, much less all the other laws. Now that's consecrating Israel, as it were. And then, it was carried, then you go further into the, all the ordinances of the tabernacle and the temple and the worship and the setting apart of animals and laying hands on the head of animals to make a sacrifice. And, and all, this, all, that is, all, the, all this shows holiness. This is why in Zechariah he says in the new kingdom that's coming, even the bells on the horses are going to be holy to me, right? Yeah. And there won't be a Canaanite in the land because everything in that new covenant, new kingdom, is going to be dedicated to Jesus Christ. You cannot be a Christian by being born into a Catholic family or a Lutheran family or anything like that. You're not a Christian because you're born in Italy, like you know the the, the world jogger. Well, if you're all the Italians are Catholic or Christian, no. You're a Christian because you make a choice as an adult to de- dedicate your life to Christ. You're born again through water in the blood, and you become a Christian.
1: And all these things were dedicated. done. All these things, I think, were done, Mike, to emphasize the fact that these people should be thinking, thinking about what God had commanded them to do yeah, each every day of their life. And it uh,
0: should be with a Christian
1: same same All thing. things you that whatever you do, every, you do every, to the Lord right, everything that we do today we should put that under the light of what the New Testament says that we should be that's exactly what job was saying that he was doing, what God told him to do, in this case, it was the negative side of that, but that's where we came from, really. The, the other thing I wanted to point out was you know, and you've mentioned this a lot, and I think it's important that they were told to write these things and put them on their forehead. Write yeah, these things Jews and put on them on their six. wrist. Right. Write these things and put them on their doorpost. Wasn't the idea that they were literally supposed to write those things and put them there. They were supposed to think about them every time.
0: Every,
1: every time they looked at their wrist, every time they <laughs> went through their door. <laughs> Whenever and, their
0: hand reached out to do something, something, they had to say, what's the word of God say I should do, do with it? this hand? Right. Or not do with
1: this hand. 'll not see with my eyes. That the was the God purpose said. of the yes. writing and doing those things. It wasn't to literally write those things. on. Them. And if they want to do that, I guess that's okay.
0: But it, that really misses the point just to say, I'm going to put it on my hand, and then I'm going to cheat you in a business deal with the same hand I put the Word of God on. You know? Right. So, so this, is, uh, uh, this is the point of, of all this. That's consecration in the true sense. Now, you come, a, you come up against this, though, Gary, um, with uh, a different usage of why the word the word consecrate is latin sacred so the the secret part is of that last part of the word it comes from sacred is the idea in english and con means with so it's taking something and making it making it uh sacred as it were and so uh, in christian in the catholic church for example uh, they take the bread and wine in the in the mass and what he called the what Jerry referred to as the eucharist and for since cent, for centuries and centuries and maybe in some places today the ordinary catholic people are allowed to take the bread if the priest t- if they don't touch it only the priest who has holy hands can take that bread and touch it and put it on your tongue because it literally becomes the body of christ in that act and the and then they, But they weren't, aren't allowed to take the consecrated wine. The priest keeps all the wine to himself. My dad, as an altar boy, you know, back in the 30s and 40s, he was an altar boy for a long time. And yeah, he said, yeah, I know the priests keep that wine to themselves. Will anybody touch it? And he was always stumbling around doing the mass drunk, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so that's the problem. That's the problem
1: that you have with that. Well, that idea of consecrate and sanctify, uh is is here here here's a key to me or at least to my viewing mike in that how that's viewed today with us as christians and that's in john 17 and beginning in verse 17 or actually verse 16 Uh, they are not of the world and these are jesus's words are, are, are reported to be jesus's words i'm not we can go into that but they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth. Basically, Jesus is saying we are sanctified through the word, of uh, his words, the word of God. The word and, and believing the word will set and, us apart. From and the acting the world. upon the word, living our life by the word. Those are the and things. Really,
0: that's that, what this show is about yeah, all the time. Right. Talking to people about how the word of God will separate you from the worldly ideas you're hearing every day. Are all around you in the media and through your friends and everywhere you go, you're hearing the world speaking in your ear. We're telling you that the words of Jesus Christ are going to judge you you need to be set apart by those words, and which will lead to the act of being sanctified, holy, set apart.
1: You are then sanctified by the word, and he says the word, your word is truth. So for all those people who think that your truth is is basically – your truth, and that's not the only truth. That's not what Scripture says. Right. Truth is the word of God. God's right. truth is the truth. Right. And so, the idea of
0: consecration—I I, don't—I don't believe, Jerry, if you're still listening—that the, the priest has any power to make wine or water holy or consecrated. The New Testament speaks nothing about any of those things. The fruit of the vine, we're going to take here in, in the 11 o'clock hour, as we do every Lord's Day, we're going to take the Lord's Supper here, and we're going to take unleavened bread. We'll come to the word leavening in just a moment, because he may ask about that. We're going to take unleavened bread, and we're going to break in, and we're going to pass it out to all the people here who want to take the Lord's Supper as a remembrance of Jesus' body that was broken for us, or was crucified for us, and a remembrance of the fact that we're the body of Christ. And then secondly, we're going to take uh, fruit of the vine, which Jesus authorizes in, in, the, in his lifetime at the, at the past, last Passover he took. And then Paul authorizes fruit of the vine in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning about verse 26 down through 30 or so. He, he says the Lord told him to tell all the churches to take this fruit of the vine and the unleavened bread. So we're going to take those two things and we're going to pass them out. Now those things are quote unquote holy, not because some special blessing has been pronounced upon them to change their character or nature they're they're holy now listen carefully what I'm saying they're set apart and because we're doing because of what we're doing with them we're doing it as an act of obedience and remembrance to Jesus Christ, and when we keep his command then the act of doing that makes it a holy or consecrated act you see not because we pronounced some blessing and made it magically holy or something it's no different chemically than than, than the grape juice on public shelves the only thing that makes it and it's no different sitting in the cups out here it's only different because we're doing it in obedience to christ no man can pronounce a blessing upon it. Christ already pronounced a blessing upon it. Now, the word blessing in the Bible just means give thanks. It says he he blessed it and said. It just means to give thanks. It's the same word used throughout all the New Testament when it says they gave thanks. It is it's it is the word uh, uh, Eucharisto, but it, it just means the giving of thanks. Jesus never called it the Eucharist. It's called the Lord's Supper or communion. That's what this service is called this act is called
1: so well i'd like to make one comment about so, some, so
0: much about this we could talk oh about, yeah we, that's, we that's could spend the whole show talking about idea. this but
1: from first corinthians 11 uh i'm, I'm going to quote what what paul yeah, you look writes up, thank here you. uh he says um uh, basically for i hope uh, for i receive from the lord that which i also delivered to you that the lord jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said and this is in quotes in most of your translations take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me in the same manner he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the New Testament in my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. I want to make a couple of points. He says, this is my body. That's not a literal statement. That's a symbolic statement. Yes. He says, this cup is the new covenant. He was standing right there. How could it be his body when he was standing there handing it to them? This is a symbolic statement. This is often how... Words are used, and we have to understand that when we read some of these things. Because what, what, what are we really doing? We're doing it in remembrance of him. Yes. We're doing this to proclaim his death. We are doing something that he says we should proclaim until he returns. He
0: also calls the church his body. Yes. Does that mean we're literally his body? And some? some no, it's, it's, it is a metaphorical. Now, I believe it's real. I don't believe it's just imaginary. Don't confuse metaphorical with imaginary. It's real, but it's not the physical, concrete equality of is. But, but what, I mean, I want, what I want people to understand. This table is plastic. That's not the same thing.
1: The Scripture does not give us any indication that, that anything miraculous happens when we take this yeah. debate. Now this that, that's the, the point you're I want to are hitting
0: upon the, the doctrine of yeah. transubstantiation. The Catholics teach that, that when the priest... Who has is God's agent on the earth? Which the Bible never says anything about a priest in the New Testament. We're all priests. There's no special priesthood in the we New Testament. We are
1: a nation of priests. We're a Jesus. nation
0: of priests. We're all. There's no special priesthood in the New Testament. The Catholic Church had to go back to the Old Testament to bring that over. So I would deny first of all that there's such a thing as a rightful priest set apart from the congregation in the in the Christian Church. That's not correct. But this priest. Can somehow can say a blessing over an ordinary wine or fruit of the vine, and it becomes literally Christ's body. And literally the bread becomes, I mean, excuse me, over the fruit of the vine literally becomes his blood, and the, fr- and the bread literally becomes his body. Now, I'm gonna, that's called transubstantiation, that a miracle occurs when the priest blesses, or as Jerry was referring to, consecrates this bread and wine. Or fruit of the vine. Now I'm going to. By the way, side point: the New Testament never ever refers to what we use in the Lord's Supper or communion as wine. People do it all the time. People say that all the time in Christian circles and from pulpits. F- try to find if you can for me the New Testament passage that refers to the Lord's Supper liquid, the fruit of the vine as wine. The writer, Jesus himself and the writers of the New Testament could have used the word oinos or wine. They do in other places, but they do not use it in this case. Now, it consistently do not use the word wine in this case. And so, therefore, you're not going to hear me and Gary refer to what we use in the Lord's Supper as wine. There's a simple reason, because the New Testament doesn't refer to it as that. And people have all these connotations then about wine, and that's the only reason the priest can get drunk. But in any event, if the priest drank what we use here, well, you wouldn't get drunk. He would never get drunk. Okay, but in, the, in any event, unless we left using, it in the cabinet too long, we're using fruit of the vine. Well, it could happen. We leave it in the cabinet too long. Yes, but the point I'm making is, I, I would say I would take, and I've said, I've argued this with uh, Roman Catholics, argued as the wrong. Where I have made this point, I should say. Arguing implies some kind of hostile disagreement, which I'm not meaning by that word. But I've argued with them that if literally you're telling me that when the priest consecrates or blesses that bread, and it literally becomes to the believer the body body of Christ, you should be able then to dissect that person's stomach, as the medical doctors can do, Vacuum out all the stomach contents, and you would find human flesh in that stomach, not the remnants of a piece of unleavened bread. Now, Gary, what do you think ha- you would happen if you were to dissect someone's stomach or pump someone's stomach here or at, at, at a Catholic church this morning who's taken the consecrated bread, and, that, and, and their teaching literally becomes the body of Christ? Do you think you'd find flesh? Or the remnants of a piece of bread.
1: The remnants of a piece of that's bread. That's what you'd
0: find now, and that's what you'd find in anybody who took the Lord's Supper in this church, because it's not literally becoming His body. Or you would find human—you would find human blood, because Christ had hum, Christ had human flesh, He became a share in human flesh and blood, according to Hebrews two, and He had human uh, flesh and blood. So you'd be able to find that if it literally became transubstantiated, changed. That word transubstantiate means to be changed from one subject to one substance to another, another substance. substance. Okay. Now, what it means is that that when we take this unleavened bread, we are acknowledging spiritually that we are the body of Christ, and that His body is what uh, broken on the cross as what helped to bring us redemption, and the blood the same way. When we take this the vine it it represents and or is the blood of christ to us in our faith and we then are reminded of our redemption by this blood and that's what the lord's supper is about it's a it's a very visual symbol to the world all around us and this is getting darker every day here in our world is we're we are going to have to we're going to stand out to most people in this society those of us who keep taking the lord's supper every first day of the week and it's it's ironic to me, Gary. We have people visit this church from Baptist churches, other denominations that are supposedly non-Catholic, and they are, um, they are kind of surprised and sometimes positively that we're taking the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. They're not going to stand out to the world because they don't even take the supper to remind to, to, as Christ says in the, first, in the verse you read a moment ago, to show forth the Lord's death till he comes. The Lord's Supper on the first day of the week is about showing forth His death to the world and to angels and to the other world every first day of the week, showing that we believe that and we're going to stand on that. It's now that's consecration. That's the idea of being consecrated,
1: yes, and set it, apart. It, yeah, and it's interesting to me. He says this cup is the new covenant in right, my blood. The new covenant. The new. This cup is the new covenant. It's the, he mentioned in a verse I read in
0: Hebrews that the First covenant was dedicated by blood that's right and
1: this second covenant is dedicated by blood that we live
0: under and, but and he's
1: reminding you that you are in a covenant relationship yeah, with christ
0: when when you become a christian now the other word so we beat consecrated and consummation to death how about see if we can work up a, a little lather for leavening <laughs> or leavened, unleavened now gary uh, jerry i think it might had a little bit backwards he, uh, Probably misspoke in saying that they use leavened bread in the Eucharist. I don't believe that's true. I believe the Catholic Church uses unleavened, unleavened bread. bread. That's what he meant, I'm sure. And and bread bread is either leavened or unleavened, depending on whether guess what whether it has leavening in it. Leavening is just a generic term for an agent which causes bread to rise. The yeast. Ye- it's it's a term for what we would call yeast or some other agent that causes the bubbles in the bread and causes the bread to rise. Now, I remember my dad, he, he used to bake bread, the old German breads and stuff, by hand. And he would uh, make. I would help him make the dough. You know, he let us get involved in all that. And then he'd say, here, he would wrap it up, and he'd tell me, go put this on top of the water heater. We had a water heater in the closet in the kitchen, you know, <laughs> a small little house. And we'd go set that in there. It was and, nice and warm. And nice and warm in the house. And, and then we'd come back in a couple hours or however long it was. And it would be all, I was always amazed. It was three times as big, two or three times as big, you know. He said, it looks like it's about ready. we pull it out, and we'd cut it, and we'd bake it then. We'd cut it, and have nice big air bubbles all through it. That's leavening. He had put the yeast in it. Now, unleavened bread is just flour and water, whatever other ingredients you might have, like salt, that you bake, and it doesn't rise because it has no leavening in it. Or, to the Jew, typically, it could be bread, that has leavening in it, but it's baked before it can rise and doesn't rise very much and it's considered unleavened. But I, Christians have always used bread that they, when they make it, they don't put any kind of yeast in it at all as unleavened bread.
1: And so there are two symbols. Now, and this, this I'm not comes, sure what the Catholic Church this, this says about This comes from it. the Jewish practice involved in the... Uh, Passover feast.
0: Yes, that's where I'm going with that. That's right. Yes.
1: They, they didn't use any. They would go through
0: the house as after the original Passover was established. And when they got into the land in particular, after they came into the land, and then down by the to, to the time of Christ, we know that they would search through the house and make sure there was no leavening. It was a whole process, kind of made it into a ceremony, make sure there was no leavening. He told them to remove all that from their house. Now, what happened initially at the... When they were in Egypt, the day that God was telling going to tell them, "You're going to leave here. I'm going to take you out of slaves." They weren't planning anything particularly. They, they didn't know what was going to happen. God had been bringing these plagues upon the Egyptians. They had been spared, but the, the night of this, um, the night of this plague of the death of the first firstborn, born, God told them to make a feast and have lamb enough for that. Household, because they were all in their own houses, enough for that household. And they would eat all of it, not break a bone of the lamb, take the blood from that lamb, put it on the doorpost of their house so, they, so, that, so that God would pass over that house and not bring death to that house. And they were to eat this bread unleavened, that unleavened bread that day.
1: So you don't have time for it to rise. And,
0: and the, I think the figure there, people would say there's two figures, Gary. I've always heard growing up that it's about purity. You don't put leavening in because it's impure. Leavening isn't impure uh, as such. It's not something that's negative to the bread. It actually makes it better in some ways, flavor-wise or texture-wise. The idea was, he's saying to them, I'm taking you out of this country, Egypt, by my hand, on my schedule. You don't have time to bake bread for this trip and let it rise. It's going to happen quickly quickly. When I say so, and I want you to be ready to go. When I get ready to leave, I want you to be ready to pick up all your stuff and go. And so the leavening or unleavening became a symbol of two things: of haste, of quickness, and the fact that God was doing the delivering, not them. It wasn't Moses' military planning. You know, it wasn't like D-Day. Movie Eisenhower moved a few million men across the channel. Him and the British generals, didn't they? Eventually. Yeah. And it took them months and months and months to plan Operation Overlord to get everything ready to move those men on that day across that channel. Uh, but that they moved maybe two million people out of Egypt in one day, you know, quickly <laughs> by God's hand. When he said so, there wasn't any military planning on the part of Moses and Aaron to get that
1: done. So As a matter of fact, there wasn't any military action on <laughs> Nothing their part. took place
0: except God's the, hand, right?
1: God did all the all military it. work. Exactly. In, in, in his own way. Destroying the Egyptian army right. on his
0: terms. So the, the Israel eating, the un, using unleavened bread then as it became an ordinance, as Moses says, throughout all your generations, I think was more a symbol of the fact that they were being saved by God's hand, not their own hand. And so when I take the Lord's Supper here, I think about that. I'm thinking about two different things. When We take the bread. I'm thinking about the fact that God has saved me on his terms, not by something that I've done. Not by my own merit, not by my planning, that God has been in control of all of this, and He saved me by what He did through Jesus Christ. And an continues inter- to do through Jesus an
1: Christ. And an integral part of that salvation was the death of His Son.
0: Yes, that was how it was accomplished, through the death of His Son, which involved destroying His Son's human body. He gave His Son a human body, like my body, and He put that body to death on the cross. Then the other part of that bread is the fact that we are, we are, as we take that bread together on the Lord's Day, we are the body of Christ. He keeps mentioning that. You are the body. And he tells the Corinthians who were doing it incorrectly and they were taking their supper one before another and not eating it together. He says, wait for one another because you're the body of Christ. It's, it's, you're, he says, you are one bread. 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verse like 30 something. You are one bread, one body. And so there's the unity in the bread. That's what unleavening and the unleavened bread means. It means unity. All of Israel was together there on that night before they came out. The church gathers to remember the salvation of Christ. Now the blood represents the the power of the the blood as a sacrificial element. Shed blood. There is life in the blood. And the shedding of this life uh, of this blood is sacrificial penalty that's that's yeah, incurred if by if sin. i were to
1: paraphrase what paul said he says when he says take eat this is my body which is broken for you basically he's saying take eat this this is symbolic of my body which was sacrificed for you basically is what he yes, says which is some ver- the king james i think says which is
0: given for you uh, or which is the literally it doesn't the word well, given is interpolated which is for you. Some versions say, well, broken for you. Uh, uh, the New so, King so,
1: James says broken for you. Yes,
0: and so uh, that's interpolated. Well, no, it's in some of the older texts. Uh, some of the texts say the word broken, I believe.
1: Well, the, the, the footnote but that it, I have the, says in some text, that's all it yes, says. Yes, and it. some
0: people object because, well, the bones of Christ weren't broken. Well, it doesn't say his bones were broken. says his body was broken. It just means it was ruined. It was killed, put to death, ruined. Bodies are meant to be alive, not dead.
1: Well, when it's, they killed it's,
0: Christ's body, it was broken. That's all that means.
1: Well, it also, it, uh, it, I think the point was made that no bones of his were broken in the crucifixion, right. which was a normal process. And that's why of,
0: some, yes, that's why it happened. And That's why some people object. It would be a normal process of, of, of crucifixion, but really, truly, of stoning would be... It was, he wasn't going to be killed by the Jews, was that prophecy. Right. He, he was going to be killed by the normal way of breaking a criminal's bones, by stoning. He was going to be put to death. Now, the Romans came along... And they some they often broke the legs of the people, but they didn't break his legs. So this is this is unusual on two 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 ways.
1: There. Yeah, and, and that was, point that point is made in
0: prophecy. I yes. believe he wasn't put to, going to be put to death by the Jews as they might have figured hundreds of years looking in advance that maybe the, he'd be stoned to death, or
1: even normally by the Romans. Though, and,
0: and, then, and then when he got there, he wouldn't even he wasn't even put to death that way. So the idea then of the Lord's Supper and the and making it holy is. Christians who are set apart by God by having been buried with Christ in baptism and sanctified by his blood as a remembrance of that salvation, a remembrance of Christ every first day of the week, which is the day he was raised from the dead, and made, the, made their Savior, made the king. His kingdom was established, it says in Acts chapter 2, by his resurrection. He began to sit on David's throne, Acts chapter 2, verse 16, when he was resurrected from the dead. We're not waiting for that to happen. It's already happened. We remember that every first day of the week by taking this supper. And prob- what makes that, prob- bo- that bread and, and fruit of the vine holy is the fact that Christ said to do it. That's why it's holy.
1: The problem with many people is that throne of David is no longer physically in Jerusalem. Yeah, there's a lot. Well, there's that's another lot. whole entire thing. That's another whole thing. But basically what we do this for, what it, what it, what it really means to us, it is a reminder of the sacrifice that was made for our salvation of jesus's body on the cross and it is a reminder of the blood that put in place the covenant of which we are a part now right you know
0: uh john texture says at any time blood is separated from the body it represents a violent event that's true and that was true of the sacrifices of the old testament where god was allowing them to offer up an animal sacrifice and slit the throat of that animal and sprinkle its blood on the altar and put its flesh. See, both the body and blood of, these, of many of these animals, the sin sacrifices, as it were, were used in the sacrifice. The body and blood were used.
1: Consequences of sin is death. And, and, right. And, and so and God in allowed some them cases, to the death was put upon someone else. Right.
0: And uh, he let, instead of them dying, he allowed the animal to die as a sacrifice. It doesn't mean a substitute, it means it's a sacrifice. You can do this and it will atone. So now in the in the New Testament, this comes to Christ. That his body and blood were separated by a violent event, and both body and blood have redeeming power. There's redemption both in the body and the blood of the animal on the, on the altar. There's redemption both in the body and blood of Christ. Now, in that case, Christ dies and we don't die. We become a living sacrifice, Paul says in Romans 12 offering up what we do, our life, as a living sacrifice. And there's the consecration again. Right. Our life is consecrated or set apart because we become a living sacrifice, which he says is our reasonable service or worship liturgy in Romans 12, verses 1 through 3. So it's all very interconnected, and it's important that you understand the, the significance. Rather, rather than focusing on some kind of magical power by the priest to turn f- bread into flesh or through the vine or wine into blood. Focus on what those symbols in the New Testament mean and what they mean for you to do. In other words, disregard the traditions of human beings and men in these churches and go back and read what the New Testament says about these events and how they connect with the Old Testament uh, events of the Passover. Then you'll know what consecration is you'll understand the statements of leavening or unleavened uh, in the right way all right we've used up almost a whole time we've got about five minutes four minutes left gary what three minutes left what well, do you I want was, I was, well i was i'll finish up here i was appreciate by the way john, john let me say this john texted several uh th- things in uh, about this uh, that jesus was forecasting that this violent event was about to happen when he talked about that yes it, it, it he did do that he did have some comments about uh, your statements from the book of job which we never got to i didn't hear him come in at the early time <laughs> so we might want to do that again next week maybe or something well
1: i want before we close i'd just like to mention that how how is the blood applied to us today if we if the blood of jesus christ has to be applied to us to sanctify us how is it applied what What is done? What does God do? What do we do? And, and I, I would say, you know, Ephesians 5 is at least one of those passages that we might want to talk about. Just briefly, Mike, uh, he says in Ephesians 5, beginning verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, talking about the church, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such blemish. Right. Well, that the washing of water there by the word is at the command of the word I believe is baptism.
0: Right. That's, I think that's correct. I think you see this illustrated in Romans chapter 6. I might have referred to this earlier, uh but in Romans 6 it says um hang on a minute here. I just clicked off of what I was trying to read. Do you not know he says that as many of us as were baptized or dipped into Christ, G, into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. Where, does, where was the blood of Christ shed? In his death. Okay? Right. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the, by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now, he goes on and talks about that in this, in this chapter. But what he says here, he's saying here is that the idea of New Testament baptism, not a sprinkling, not something you've done after salvation, but this is teaching that the way we come in contact with the blood of Christ, which was shed for our salvation, is through the act of baptism. Being buried in water as an act of obedient faith and raised up to walk a new life. That burial puts you in contact with the death of Christ. Yes. That's exactly what he's saying here.
1: And basically that's what he's saying, that that is the point at which God forgives our sins upon an answer to a good conscience or an obedience to a command in first peter 3 21 but i want to mention one other titus 3 and uh, beginning verse 4 but he says but when the kindness and the love of god our savior toward man appeared not by works of righteousness which he which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the holy spirit Yes. There, that's He saved us through, again, that washing just of, washing pre- of regeneration. regeneration.
0: And it's hard for people to, you know, they try everything they can to get around the fact that he's talking about water baptism there. But that's well, exactly what he's talking about.
1: Well, I think people are like cats. They just don't want to get wet. <laughs> <laughs> Some but, of,
0: well, they, no, doctrinally, they, they've got this idea. Yeah, yes. They separated uh, baptism from salvation because but the Catholic Church had made it into a ritual. And so they're going away from this ritual of baptizing babies, and so they've got to go all the way and the we, other direction.
1: Perhaps we yeah. should spend a whole show on this. Before well, we, we
0: should, for sure. But,
1: this is but the, we're out of time.
0: This is the difference uh, of consum- consummation, consecration, and leavening. Good question. Thanks for calling, Jerry. We appreciate it. All those who listened, we're really glad that you tuned in today. Let me tell you about a couple ways you can get this show. If you want to email the show, if you can't call, uh, email justchristians at att.net justchristians at att.net you can also listen to this show uh on the re- uh, on the computer you don't have to have a radio you look, go to wpsl.com click the listen live button it'll take you to a new web page you can listen to the show on wpsl.com wherever you are tell your friends about that you can also use the tune in radio app alexa devices google chrome devices all those get this show uh um, through on the computer and if you want a podcast of the show go to wearejustchristians.com wearejustchristians.com you can listen to past shows all the way back for years and years thanks for listening today we really appreciate it hope you'll come out if you can today and visit with us at 2196 southwest savona boulevard 2196 southwest savona boulevard at 10 and 11 today we thank you very much and may god bless you You've been listening to You've been listening to We Are Just Christians on WPSL Fort St. Lucie, time for CBS News.